You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. They became of the same bloodline. They had the same father now. They, they, they had the same heritage. They had the, the same accomplishments. They had the same things all given to them by God. God had put a difference between the Jews and the Gentiles so that his person of salvation might be accomplished. But once those purposes were accomplished, there was no more need for the difference. Their difference went away. In fact, He erased the difference forever through the work of Jesus Christ's reconciliation. The greatest peace mission of God was reconciliation. Jesus wanted to reconcile man to God and men to other men. He first started this work by teaching the importance of overcoming prejudice between the Jews and Gentiles. Today, Pastor Dave shares God's desire for the two peoples to become one in Christ. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 21 as he continues his message. The Logic of Prejudice. Most Jews continue to be prejudiced against the Gentiles, and they wanted them to become Jewish. They demanded that they follow the laws of Moses. They demanded that they be circumcised if indeed they were going to receive salvation. This is in the middle of of all this that's happening, that Paul walks with his companions into Jerusalem. Paul's walking right into the heat of this. Look at verse 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, he entered the temple to announce the expiration of days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Remember, Paul was going to pay the offering. Paul was going to pay for these four guys who had taken this vow... He was going to pay for everything. He was going to be their sponsor. This was going to appease the Jews. That's what the elders said. It'll appease the Jews. Compromise. Compromise never appeases. Somebody always loses in a compromise. I don't care. When the church compromises with the world, who loses? Church. Church will always lose when we compromise with the world. Always. Paul does what the elders have asked, and the results are not quite what they expected. It's extremely interesting to me that wherever the Apostle Paul goes, one of two things happen. You either have a revival or you have a riot. Usually one of those two things happen when the Apostle Paul is around. So every once in a while, like in Ephesus, you have a little bit of both. You have a great revival, but then you eventually had a riot anyhow. Instead of warding off this uproar, which they wanted it, The direct opposite happened. An uproar happened. A riot happened. Let's go to verse 27. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. I love this. Jews from Asia. Wait a minute. Jews from Asia. Sounds like a motorcycle club. The Jews from Asia are here. Uh Uh-oh. Here they come, and they're they're all coming down. I'm sorry. I digress. Anyhow, these, these Jews followed Paul everywhere he went. These, they're known as the Judaizers. We studied about them. They followed Paul everywhere he went, and they constantly tried, caused trouble for him. 
And they see him in the temple, and they go crazy. They see him in the temple, and they go crazy. What's going on here? Well, first you have the legalistic Judaizers after Paul for going against the law of Moses. You have the rumors and gossip. They all heard the lies and misinformation that was being spread. Paul did this compromise, and he tried to appease the Jews. All you got to do is add a dash of prejudice, and boom, you got a full-fledged riot. This is pretty cool. This is exactly what happens. Look at verse 28 and 29. They came in there crying out, Men of Israel, this is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they previously seen Trometheus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And here we see the logic behind prejudice. The logic. It's good logic. Well, Paul's there. He's friends with Gentiles. They go with him everywhere he goes. They must be in the temple. That's their logic. Let's riot. Yeah. That's their logic. That's the logic of prejudice. It makes no sense. There is no logic. It makes no sense. These Jews stirred up Jerusalem. And they started to appeal to the prejudices that had already existed in their lives. Remember, these Jews were raised from a very, very early age and taught these prejudices. It's part of their life. Prejudices sometimes are taught. Sometimes prejudices are caught like a virus. But the Greek phrase here used for stirred up is sunko ho, meaning to throw to disorder, to perplex, to confuse. They appeal to their flesh. Prejudice appeals to your flesh because it puffs you up with pride. I'm better than they are because I believe this, this, and this. I'm better than they are. See, see prejudice appeals to my flesh because it makes me look good. It makes everybody look looks inferior. And when I look better than everybody else, I look good. See, that's what prejudice does. Now, the temple was divided into basically three sections. They had a temple part here, in the middle of the temple. There was the Holy of Holies. There was the most holy place. And then there was this third compartment of the temple, and it was called the Court of the Israelites. And it was divided in two sections, I found out. The western section was reserved for men, and the eastern section was reserved for women. But outside the temple, there was this temple. Outside the temple was another courtyard. There was another great big courtyard. And that was called the court of the Gentiles. And if you were a Gentile, you had to stay in that court. You could not go in through the wall and get into the temple. If you were, that was a law. And the law actually said if you did, they could kill you. And the Romans supported this law. The Romans allowed this to happen, that if a Gentile went into the temple where he wasn't supposed to go, then by temple law, he could be killed. This was supported by the Roman government. Look what's happening here in Jerusalem. These prejudicial emotions are running rampant. They're running wild. Their brains are in neutral. Their brains are in neutral. They're just following the crowd because of all this prejudice stuff. And seeing Paul in the temple was enough to set off a riot. If Paul was there, so were the Gentiles. They charged after Paul, seized him, began beating him as they threw him out of the temple and shut the doors. They threw him into the court of the Gentiles. Threw him out. You like the Gentiles so much here? Be one of them. And threw him out. And shut the doors. The city was disturbed. 
they all catch this virus called prejudice. There's a lot of zombie movies out right now, you know, and all it takes is to be bit by one. You turn into a zombie, and then you bite two friends, and they bite six friends, and they bite... Now, pretty soon, the whole world is zombies. We're all running around biting each other. And, well, this virus is called prejudice. You can catch it, you know. You can be with somebody who's prejudiced and has a prejudicial attitude, and all of a sudden, you start feeling the same way because they appeal to your flesh. They appeal to the fleshly nature. They appeal to that old nature. We start feeling the same way. Or maybe, you know... Love our moms and dads, that older generation. But man, they had some attitudes. I'm telling you right now, my father had some attitudes. There were some people in my father's life who he just didn't like. And he made under no circumstances who it was and who it was not. You know, when you're prejudiced, you want to look for someone to blame. And when you find that person, you point. It's their fault. It's their fault my life is so bad. It's their fault. I'm better than they are. I should be getting more than they do, but look what they're getting. We do that. That's what they were doing. It's his fault. He teaches against the law of Moses. He's defiled the holy place. He brought Gentiles into into the temple. The Jews from Asia, riding on their motorcycles throughout Jerusalem, telling everybody that this Paul is for bad, and they use all the buzzwords, and the people get really charged up. But this is what prejudice does. It appeals and stirs up your deepest, deepest feelings, your deepest, deepest feelings that you have, it stirs them up. Teachings that have been handed down from generation to generation, from family to family, prejudices can be caught. They can be caught like a virus. Much later, much later, Paul, the apostle, is in Rome. And pretty soon we're going to watch that transition as he gets sent from Jerusalem to Rome in the end of the book of Acts. We're going to read through that. But he's in Rome. And he writes a letter to one of his most favorite churches, the church in Ephesus. And in this letter, he addresses this prejudicial relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles, and he talks about it in length. And he talks about it in length. And I want to finish this morning. Let's turn to Ephesians 2, please. Turn to Ephesians 2. I'm going to read nine verses in Ephesians 2, specifically beginning with 13. And we're going to go down to the end of the chapter. Beginning in 13, Ephesians 2, verse 13. We're going to begin, go down to the end of the chapter as we conclude our study for today. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross thereby putting to death the enmity. And he became and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom... The whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Paul is dealing with this now, this prejudicial attitude that has been centuries old. 
This attitude has been century old that the, the Jews were better than the Gentiles somehow because they had a relationship with the true God. They had his covenant. They were his people. They were chosen. Paul addresses that. The but now in verse 13 speaks of God's intervention on behalf of all sinners, Jews and Gentiles alike. And Paul uses the word enmity, speaking not only about the enmity between Jews and Gentiles, but the enmity between sinners and God. Paul describes this great peace mission, the greatest peace mission in the entire history of mankind, the peace mission that Jesus Christ came to accomplish, the great peace mission of God, that Jesus Christ not only reconciled Jews to Gentiles, but he reconciled mankind to God. What a beautiful peace mission he accomplished with this. The two became one in Christ. Gentile, Jew. Remember, a Gentile is anyone else who's not a Jew. The two became one in Christ. They became of the same bloodline. They had the same father now. They, they, they had the same heritage. They had the, the same accomplishments. They had the same things all given to them by God. God had put a difference between the Jews and the Gentiles so that his person of salvation might be accomplished. But once those purposes were accomplished, there was no more need for the difference. The difference went away. In fact, he erased the difference forever through the work of Jesus Christ's reconciliation. The Jews couldn't understand this because of centuries. They had been the different ones. From dress to diet, they had been different. They were supposed to be different. God had called them to be different. And the idea of the Gentiles enjoying a relationship with their God was too much for them to conceive. It was too much for them to handle. How dare they? How dare they talk about our God? Even when the Jerusalem Council said Jews and Gentiles are saved the same way through faith in Jesus Christ didn't change the fact that the law was the cause of the enmity. The law, the dietary laws alone reminded the Jews that God had placed them in a difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. There was a purpose for that wall at one time that separated the Jews and the Gentile in the temple. It was to remind the Jews of the difference. But Christ has broken down the wall of separation. He did it on the cross. In order that the Gentiles and Jews would be reconciled, the wall had to be destroyed. The wall had to be destroyed. And what is what Christ did on the cross? And the cost of destroying the enmity was his very blood. The very blood of Christ is what it cost him to take care of the enmity, to satisfy the law. Remember, the law was the enmity. By fulfilling the demands of the law in Christ's righteous life, by bearing the curse of the law in his sacrificial death, Jesus removed the legal barrier of separation. For centuries, there was indeed a separation. But today, Paul said to the Romans in Romans 10, 12 to 13, there is no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all those who call upon him. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever, we enter into a oneness with Christ, with all who believe, Jew and Gentile alike. We become one through the unifying work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We become a new man, one new man. We become one body. We become one spirit. We become one nation belonging to God. We become one family, the family of God. We worship together in one temple as today, through the Holy Spirit, God dwells in us. The Unio Mystica. You can't understand it. 
But he's there. He dwells within us. Us in Christ. Christ in God. We're all one now. Jew, Gentile and like. This is what Christ has done. There is no room for prejudice in the body of Christ. There's no room for a prejudicial thought in the body of Christ. We said earlier that the Jews were supposed to be a light. They were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. And they were supposed to reveal the true revelation of the one true living God to all the world. But they failed. They failed miserably. Prejudice and pride got in their way. Who is the light of the world now? We are. We are the light of the world. And we're to take Jesus to the nations. We're to take Jesus to the whole world. But don't let our prejudice help us fail. Don't let that get in the way of us taking Christ to the world, whomever it might be. We're the light. But prejudice still exists. We look down on those who are different. Some cultures even teach prejudice today. People choose to be prejudiced. It's a choice. Others catch it like a virus, like I talked about earlier, from those who are sick already. Whatever the source, let's be clear on one thing. Prejudice is sin. And it's a sin that Christ died for. It is a sin that Christ died for to make us one. Prejudice and pride are not fruits of the Spirit. Check for yourself in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. There's nothing about prejudice and pride as being a fruit of the Spirit. In fact, prejudice and pride will never coexist with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control that the Spirit produces for those who walk rightly in God. The flesh hinders are producing such fruit. The flesh that we have. In 1997, Princeton University conducted an experiment using our orchestra auditions as their guinea pig. It was discovered that different people were selected when auditions were performed from behind a sheet or curtain rather than in the orchestra auditions that were performed in full view of everybody. When the musician in question could not be seen, but simply heard, the best musicians were indeed chosen for the opening spots, and there were no prejudices that factored in. For example, women have a 7.5% better chance of being selected for a trombone section if they audition behind a curtain than if they audition in front of the curtain. I find that fascinating. Today, more orchestras, auditions are conducted in this manner. They're called the blind auditions. The Vienna Philharmonic uses this method as part of their selection process, and so does St. Lawrence University. We, the church, want to reach people for Jesus Christ, but if we're not careful, because of our prejudicial views, we will only reach the people that are like us. We will only reach the people that have the same color, have the same thoughts. We will only reach those type of people. We need to be extremely careful. When God fills a congregation and fills a believer with his love, Christ's love was unconditional. Christ died for the world. Christ's love is unconditional. Show me someone in the world that Christ did not die for. You can't, because if you do, you got to take John 3.16 and rip it out and throw it behind your back. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, 
believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. It's simple as that, folks. We make it so difficult because we put our prejudicial views in there. We put our mindset in there. Oh, they won't fit. I don't like the way they look. I don't like the challenge they have. I don't like the handicap they have. I don't like this. I don't like that. We become the ones who decide who should be saved and who should not. How dare us? How dare us? Oh, my gosh. What if somebody made that decision about you and me? What if you were left out from salvation because of you wore your hair a certain way or the color of your skin? Heaven forbid your sin. Last time I looked, the Scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But see, that's what prejudice does, and there's no room for prejudice in the house of God. There's no room for prejudice in Christ's body. And we are His body. And that's what I see today happening with Paul. They were prejudiced, and that prejudice came up. It welled up within them, and they lashed out. How dare them bring a Gentile into the temple? How dare them? Christ had died to break down that wall. Christ had died to break down the wall of separation. Whatever's separating you from anybody should not be there because Christ has died for that separation to be broken down. We need to get out of our flesh and into the Spirit. And we need to walk in a oneness that is Jesus Christ. We need to walk in the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of love. And we need to demonstrate that love one to another. No matter where it is or who we are with, we need to demonstrate that love because that is what Christ did. Check the Gospels and tell me I'm wrong. That is exactly what Christ did. Oh, if a church did that, can you imagine? If a church would love unconditionally, if a church would love unconditionally each other, let alone the ones outside, can you imagine what would happen? You think God would look favorably on a church like that? You think God would react to a church like that? You think that kind of a church would change the neighborhood, would change the locale, would change the entire area? I do. Because that's what 120 guys did in an upper room when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Scripture says they turned the world upside down. Oh, that, that we would take the prejudice that we carry with us and that we would allow that consuming fire of the Lord to burn it up. To rid us of that prejudice forever. Offer it to Him in a sacrifice. Lord, take this prejudice from me. That I might be able to love unconditionally those you put before me. That I might be able to show them the love of Jesus Christ that you showed me and changed my life. Oh, that we would do that. Oh, that that would be our cry. Do that, and people are going to get saved. Do that, and you'll have revival. You are a You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition! 
Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.